Good morning. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. It's entitled, Jesus Sends Out the Seventy-Two. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. <clears throat> and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, uh, my name's Rob and uh, I'll be our preacher today. I'm a member of this congregation and I'm also one of our partner missionaries or mission partners um, here at Mary Creek. And what I do uh, during the week is that I'm working alongside the Christian Union and the Graduate Christian Union at the University of Melbourne. And basically the, the role I have is 
uh, encouraging and teaching and mentoring students as they get on with their mission on the campus, which is about helping other students become followers of Jesus and grow in their faith and prepare to serve God in the world. Uh, It's great to be with you today and to be able to share with you from God's word. And as Beck mentioned, we're thinking about what it means to join Jesus on his mission. And uh, as Luke tells the story of Jesus, Jesus comes into the world, he begins his mission, he proclaims the kingdom of God and he starts to gather disciples to follow him. But here in chapters 9 and 10, which we've been looking at, uh, Jesus starts to involve those disciples, those followers in the mission that he's doing. And first of all, in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, uh, on a mission to go ahead of him. And then here in chapter 10, he sends out 72 uh, to join him in the work. So the key idea for the whole series is just that we are called as disciples of Jesus to share in Jesus' mission, to be on mission with Jesus. And so as we read about how Jesus sent out those first disciples, we get some ideas about what it's going to mean for us to be on mission with Jesus as well. And well, what, uh, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now, so what have we learned about Jesus and his mission? And it's reflected also here in the things that we read in chapter 10 and we heard today. We've heard that the mission is going to be difficult. The mission is going to be difficult, it's going to face opposition. It's not as if going out into the world... Uh, The world is sort of just neutral towards Jesus and towards God, but there's actually going to be opposition. Human beings will be opposed to the mission, and behind that is also going to be a deeper opposition, a spiritual opposition to God. And in this passage, we, we read about the stubbornness of some of the towns of Israel in rejecting Jesus' ministry, even though Jesus did miraculous signs in those places. These towns like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum were the kinds of places that you would expect people to be eager to hear about the message of the kingdom of God. And yet, somehow, they reject the good news about the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. So the mission is going to be difficult and it's also going to be dangerous. Jesus has made clear it's going to be completely dangerous for him. That is, the mission involves Jesus himself going to Jerusalem and dying. That this is the part of the mission that only Jesus can do. Uh, but it's part that the disciples are, themselves are going to share in the danger. And Jesus here in this passage describes the danger as being like being sent out like lambs among wolves, uh, which is pretty dangerous. So it's going to be a, a difficult and dangerous mission that we're called to share in. And it's also going to be a challenging mission. It's going to be a challenge to us to join Jesus in his mission. And this is particularly what we heard last week, uh, reading from the end of chapter 9. That the call to uh, follow Jesus and the call to be part of his mission is challenging because it asks so much of us. It asks that we make this the most important thing in our lives, that it has the priority Uh, above every other claim in our life, including even the claims of family. And it's the kind of mission where you need to be fully committed to it. Jesus says, you can't put hand to the plough and then look back. You have to actually say, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to go all in on this mission. I'm going to be part of it. 
So it's challenging, but also we heard last week it's liberating for the same reason, actually, because in calling us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, Jesus is, in lots of ways, setting us free from obsession with the concerns that human beings normally have in the world. That there's a liberation that comes with the level of challenge that Jesus' mission brings into our lives. And one of the reasons for this is that the mission is about the kingdom of God. This is the language that Jesus has used um, about his mission from the beginning and that he uses here as well. It's about service in the kingdom of God being part of this mission together. And what, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about that situation where God decisively intervenes in human history and human life in such a way as to put the world right. Where God intervenes in such a way as to bring justice and righteousness to the earth, in such a way that the dead are raised, in such a way that evil is judged and expelled from the world. God putting things right is what the kingdom is about. We read about it in Psalm 85 there. Just a brief sort of vision of it, of what happens when God shows his favour to his people. They experience a world put right. Uh, he says, he, it says, He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Poetic picture of a world working the way that it's meant to work, of human beings enjoying the blessing of God and experiencing the glory of God. That's God's kingdom. That's the promise of God's kingdom. And so Jesus is calling his followers on to share in his mission of proclaiming that kingdom and helping people get ready for that kingdom. And uh, so as Jesus does that, it's a demanding call on our lives. It's saying, okay, you want to be part of, you want to be a kingdom person who's on about the kingdom yourself and who wants other people to know about God's kingdom. That's what it means to be on mission with Jesus. So we're just going to try to sort of build on this today and think about a bit more about, all right, well, what does this passage particularly have to tell us about the mission that God has called us to. And in some ways, this, especially the end of this passage, is uh, an encouragement to us who might feel overwhelmed by the danger and the difficulty and the challenge of being on this mission with Jesus. Why would we actually want to do it? It sounds so hard. Uh, it sounds so challenging. Why would we want to be on about this mission? Well, let's have a look at what uh, Luke records for us here. And I want to particularly focus on the end of the passage from uh, verse 21. Uh, and the privilege we get to hear here is of uh, Jesus praying. So you get to hear Jesus talking to his heavenly Father. Now, I think most of us have a, a brush with fame story. Do you have one of these? Uh, some, some time in your life where you've encountered a really famous person or people in some way. And we tend to remember this because of our celebrity kind of obsessed world. And my one goes way, way back till I think about 1991 or 1990, perhaps 
maybe 1989, sometime around that time. And uh, when I was a student, I worked at a big city hotel. And I worked in the cocktail bar of a big city hotel. And I had the very glamorous job of washing up all the glasses in the cocktail bar. But this is actually a good job when you're a student. Um, you can earn enough in one night to keep you going for the whole week. So I was working in the, in the big city hotel and uh, one night we were told, you uh, two, the band you two are staying here in the hotel and they love to come up to the cocktail bar after their, each night after their gig and relax. So really want everyone to be, you know, do a great job tonight. Okay, so we're working there in the bar and the, gradually the members of U2 come in and sit down and hang around. That's all pretty exciting. But then, this is especially exciting to me, David Bowie came into the bar as well and sat down with Bono from U2 and they were chatting away and they were only like 10 metres away from me. Wow, what a brush with fame. The thing is, I could see them talking, but I could not hear what they were talking about. And, you know, I really wanted to know, what were they talking about, you know, how to write songs or how to spend all the money or, you know, or were they just talking about really boring stuff? I mean, even that would have been kind of interesting to hear these very famous and rich people talking about who knows what everyday stuff. I never found out and I never knew what they were talking about. Well, here in this passage, we, we do get to hear. And it's much, it's, it's much more than just a brush with fame. It's an insight into the life of God that we, in some way, get taken inside. We get to hear, we get to see God on the inside. We get to see the internal workings of Father, Son and Spirit here and we hear what Jesus is saying. So this is an incredible privilege for us that we're here treading on holy ground as we get to hear what Jesus has to say. Uh, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, but this is what you were pleased to do. And I just want you to notice, first of all, the way Luke describes what's going on here. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, praising and thanking his heavenly Father. And here we have, as I say, a glimpse of the life of God. Jesus, the Son, relating to the Father in the joy of the Holy Spirit. That in the gospel, that is what God is being revealed to be like. That is what the life of God is. The Son and the Father in the joy of the Spirit. What does Jesus actually say? He rejoices and he gives praise to God or thanks to God because of the way that God has been working. As this mission has gone out into the world and as people have responded to the good news that the disciples have shared as they've, as they've been uh, healed, as they've been set free from the influence of spiritual evil, as this message has gone out, Jesus rejoices at what's been happening in people's lives. Uh, he's actually said earlier on, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
So as the message has gone out, the power of spiritual evil on people's lives has been broken and people have been set free to belong to God and to belong to his kingdom. And this is what Jesus rejoices about. He rejoices that uh, it's not the, the wise people, the learned people, the, the, the intelligent and educated people who've particularly responded to this good news, but just ordinary people, the people regarded as children who've responded to this message. And Jesus says, it's actually what God was pleased to do. It's God's pleasure to work in this way. This is a bit like what Paul says uh, when he says that God has called not the, not the wise and the rich people of this world, but rather called the foolish people of this world in order to shame the wise. As we take our part in the mission that God has called us to, you'll be surprised at the people who respond, that they're not the people that you expect to respond, uh, and they're not generally people who are regarded highly in the eyes of the world. But God is calling ordinary people, people regarded as children or people regarded as foolish um, in order to show his greatness and his power. Um, So Jesus rejoices in this. He is excited. This is what actually brings Jesus joy. And Jesus goes on to say, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And uh, these are quite extraordinary words that Jesus says here. First of all, all things have been committed to me by my Father. Jesus claims to have the crucial role in the plans of God, that everything's been committed to him, that God's plans to save the world that God's way of bringing his kingdom in, everything has been committed to Jesus. It all focuses on Jesus and comes down to Jesus. God's kingdom will come through Jesus. It's through Jesus that people will become part of God's kingdom. It's through Jesus that forgiveness and liberation and new life will come to people. It's through Jesus that we can become workers for the kingdom of God. It's through Jesus that we can get to know God truly, because that's what Jesus goes on to say. No one knows who the Father is, sorry, no one knows the Son, who the Son is, except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is, except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus says not only has everything been committed to him by his heavenly Father, but that Jesus and the Father have unique knowledge of each other. That they have unique knowledge of each other. That they know each other in a way that no one else does. And what that means is that only Jesus is able to reveal the truth about the Father. Only Jesus truly knows the Father. But he is able to reveal the Father to people. And that is what he chooses to do. Um, You might think of similarly of Jesus' words in John's Gospel, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That we can actually get to know the truth about God through Jesus because of that unique knowledge that he has as the Son. 
And this is really important for us to understand, I think. We do have some access to knowledge about God from looking at the world around us, from thinking about God, from observing the way that the world works and so on, everything that God has made. There is a limited kind of knowledge of God that's available to us. But Jesus says the ultimate knowledge of God, the knowledge and understanding of God as a heavenly father, is only available through Jesus, his son. So what does this mean for our mission in the world? What does this mean for joining Jesus in his mission? Well, essentially it means that the task of being on about this mission is about bringing Jesus to people, bringing the good news about Jesus to people. It's through Jesus that people can know God and it's through Jesus that people can be part of God's kingdom. Then it's really about presenting people and helping people get to know Jesus. Now it's possible to uh, have all kinds of arguments about God with people and to try to persuade people in all kinds of ways about God. And working in the university, um, these things are not irrelevant. Uh, It's good to be able to talk about the arguments for God's existence and to talk about the, the various kinds of issues to do with philosophy and science and so on. All of this is good stuff to know and helpful in its way. But actually, ultimately, it's how people respond to Jesus that is the thing. Uh, that here they are presented with the truth about God. As people meet Jesus and hear about Jesus, they're confronted with the true reality of God. And so what that means actually is, in some ways, it's not complicated to be on mission with Jesus because I think everyone can talk about Jesus, even just a bit. Uh, Everyone can talk about Jesus. And you don't have to be super confident at it and you don't have to know everything. You don't have to um, have everything sorted out in your faith even. But just to be able to share something about Jesus with people. And so this is in some ways uh, how we think about doing the mission that we do on campus. uh, That one of the main ways we train people is just in opening up one of the Gospels with their fellow students. Um, to help them feel confident to say to someone, would you be interested in reading Luke's Gospel with me, for example? And just showing people, okay, well, this, and so this is how you can do it. And here are, say, five stories from Luke's Gospel that you could particularly look at with your friend in order for them to be able to think about who Jesus is and what Jesus is showing them about the true God. That that's... Uh, a simple way that anyone can share about Jesus and join him in the mission. So this is one of the, I think, really very helpful for us thinking about our mission here at Mary Creek. Okay? So th- we want to be on, about, on this mission with Jesus all the time, particularly this year we're thinking about how can we be part of it because we want our one congregation here to become two congregations this year. So how will that happen? If we divide into two, there's going to be less people at the two different places where we meet. So where will the other people come from? Uh, They actually won't miraculously appear out of thin air. 
what we're hoping is that other people will join because they will also want to become part of God's kingdom and be worshippers of God. And how is that going to happen? Through people encountering Jesus, through people hearing about Jesus. And so the challenge, I think, for us, for each of us, is to be able to speak about Jesus, but also just that we make sure that as, as we gather together Sunday by Sunday, that we are talking about Jesus, hearing about Jesus, singing about Jesus, uh, praying about the things that Jesus teaches us to pray and so on. That we be a church that is on about Jesus Christ because that we really believe that that is the way that people come into a relationship with God and a true knowledge of God. So we want to be people who can talk about Jesus. Now, I think that uh, there are two different ways that you can do this. One, of course, is to get to know the Bible well and then be able to share stories from the Bible, the things that Jesus did and said. And this is a great um, thing to actually get practice at doing. And uh, the other day, uh, Beck and I were talking with Jai Yi, a member of our congregation here, and one of the things that she does to be part of this mission is that she, down at the St Paul's Cathedral in the city, where they get lots and lots of visitors when things are normal, uh, they, tell, they take visitors around the cathedral and they show them the stained glass windows, and the stained glass windows down one side of the cathedral are episodes from the life of Jesus. And she says that what we do is we say to the visitors, would you like me to tell you the story that's pictured in this window? And they just tell them the story about Jesus. It's a very simple way of sharing um, about Jesus with people. But the second way, of course, that you can do this is to share your own story about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And I think we can do this as well. Um, when I was a school teacher, I had a class of, and I was taught in a boys' school, I had a class of boys who were really struggling. This was an English class. They hated English class, they hated books, they hated plays, hated everything we did, struggled to write essays and all of that, and they would hand in work that just showed that they were struggling all the time. Now, it may have been my teaching, but I think that this, this was the reality. For they just found it hard. Words were not easy, right? But we had one thing that we did. Uh, we read Clive James's book, Unreliable Memoirs, which is just Clive James telling his story, his childhood story, in a fairly inaccurate way, right? And someone else had this idea. We, just, we gave all of them an exercise book and we said... Okay, the assignment that you have to do is you just have to tell your story. You just have to write your own story in this book. And you've got a week to do it or something. And these boys who struggled with English every year came back with exercise books full of writing. Entertaining, exciting, articulate writing about, well, their own life. And you could say, well, it just shows how egotistical we are, that we just love to tell stories about ourselves. Yes, okay, sure. But if you can tell your own story as the story of how Jesus has come into your life and changed your life, that is a powerful story for people to hear. 
And you may struggle to tell other stories about other people, but that's a story you can tell. In fact, no one can tell your story the way you can tell it. Um, so there are different ways for us to learn to do that, to learn to talk about Jesus. And I think it's, that's worth just putting effort into. If you had five minutes to tell your story to someone, what would you say? Have you practiced telling the story? What about if you had 15 minutes or half an hour? How would you tell the story? So learning to tell the stories of Jesus in the Bible and learning to tell your own story as a story of the difference that Jesus has made. I think these are great things to do as we learn to be on mission with Jesus. The second implication, I think, for our being on mission with Jesus is a simple one. It's to pray. And the reason is this, because Jesus says it's as God reveals these things to people that they come to believe. That God the Father chooses to reveal these things to people. That only Jesus can reveal God the Father to people. And so if it's the case that, it's a, that God reveals these things, then we should be praying to God. Please reveal these things to the people around us. Please reveal these things to the people in Clifton Hill and Fairfield and wherever we are as well. Please reveal these things so that people will become part of God's kingdom. And the third thing I think that we learn about mission here is that the mission ultimately is about relationship with God. What is revealed about God here? That God is relational. The Father and the Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Father and the Son love each other. Father and the Son rejoice in each other. That there's a relationship at the heart of the universe. And in God's mercy and grace, we are invited into this relationship. That Jesus invites us to come to know the Heavenly Father the way he does. That Jesus invites us to come to know and relate to God as a child, to be his child, to belong to him and to be his child forever. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. That's the way Jesus talks here. But we can come to know him also as our heavenly father and to join in that joy and thankfulness and love, which is the relationship Jesus has with his heavenly father. This is the extraordinary privilege of the Christian faith to be invited in to this relationship, to join in this relationship um, with Jesus. And so we might say, well, the mission itself is difficult and challenging. The mission itself is dangerous. But the mission is so worth it. So worth it to see people actually come to know God in this way and to see them experience um, the security and liberation and joy and love that comes through knowing God in this personal way. Uh, I heard a student give her testimony lots of years ago, and she hadn't become a Christian at the university, but she'd become a Christian a few years before uh, when she was a teenager. And she told the story about how uh, she and her sister and her mother, when when she was a teenager, they were abandoned by their father. Her father just walked out of the the family, walked out on the family and uh, cut off all contact with them. And when she was a teenager, this was totally devastating for all of them. They were utterly devastated by 
this desertion. And in desperation, she said that her mother took them all to church. They didn't know what to do. Um, they were casting around, you know, just had no idea what, how to cope with this, this terrible thing. Went to church and uh, through going to this local church, they each became Christians over time. And her reflection back on this was like this. And I just remember her words because they're so vivid. I think the most vivid words in a testimony I've ever heard. Because she said, I was so glad to discover that there was a heavenly father who would always love me and never desert me. That's good news. That is wonderful news for people to hear. And what a privilege to be on a mission to be able to bring that good news to people. So we rejoice with Jesus in the goodness of the mission and in the results that it has in people's lives. Satan cast down and people knowing the God who is Heavenly Father. Why don't we pray and as we seek to join Jesus in his mission? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much that we can know you and call you our Heavenly Father through Jesus, your Son, and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for revealing these things to us. We admit and confess that we could not know these things on our own. But we thank you that by your mercy, other people spoke to us about Jesus. And we thank you for the chance together as your church, to be on mission together with you. And we ask for your help and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.